Thank you for this evening. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word and, and help us to see what you would have us to see. We thank you for the VBS that's going to start tomorrow and ask you just to be with the kids. Bring kids out to us, Lord. You know where all the kids are. You know you know who should be here. And, and just let them start getting some excitement and, and through the crafts and the games. And we just thank you and, and praise you for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Psalm 58. Well, I guess if you can't find any kids, I guess we'd all pretty come to Sunday school then. <laughs> we'll, we'll teach whoever shows up. So you could have come and sat in Nanny's class I, I think we'll have at least one or two kids and possibly more. I mean, yeah. I've, sent, I've sent even letters out to those I had addresses for, and including a, a family that doesn't come here, but they have kids, and we'll probably be looking for something for their kids to do, so... So who knows what we'll have? And God, God knows what it is. And just as the sign on my on the office says, "What's the value of one? What is the worth of one soul, or the value of one soul?" Even if it's only one kid that hears the gospel and, and one family that comes out at the end, that is still worth whatever investment we put into it. So. You know, there is one child though—a one and a half child. I've never taught a half child. How do you do a half child? No, no, she's half in it. She's half innocent and she's half into. But there's one and a half children that's just absolutely pleased, Greg. All you gotta know is there's one and a half children. Please pray that a vile spirit that has got its grips on those two kids will turn them loose. They're worth it. All right, Psalm 58. To the chief musician, Altaschid, Miktam of David, do you indeed speak righteous, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart you work wickedness and weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the dead deaf adder that stops her ears which will not hearken to the voice of the charmers charming never so wisely break their teeth O god in their mouth break out the great teeth of the young lions O lord let them melt away as waters which run continually when he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows let them be cut in as cut as let them be as cut in pieces as a snail which melteth, let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the, thor feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when, they, when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that a man shall, so that a man shall say, "Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judges the earth." We're going to look at this one. This is a very vindictive uh, psalm for David, and uh, so we're going to look at this one a little bit. Uh, it says, "Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation?" Do you judge rightly, O sons of men? And this is the start of a question. This is a question many Christians and even non-Christians ask. Do people do righteous things and do, they, and do they judge righteously? And unfortunately, the answer is usually no. 
even amongst the Christian world, it's, it's quite often to get a no answer this. It says, yea, in heart you work wickedness, you weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. So David's answer to this is, do, do you speak righteous in the congregation? Do you walk, judge uprightly? And he says, no. And we see this to be true. We see this to be true in most groups. Uh, and this does not go over well in America, but, but uh, democracies really are not a great form of government because almost always the majority is wrong. We see it on the scriptures. In Judges, the, the key phrase in Judges, they did what was right in their own eyes. The, the congregation, the multitude made bad decisions. And we see this even in our own country. We keep making bad decisions as a country. Why? Because we're turned away from God. We're making decisions based in the flesh, based in the world's way of thinking. And then we wonder why everything keeps getting worse and worse. Because the majority of the congregation usually makes bad decisions. Uh, and you've, you've seen this, you've seen this a hundred times. You, you're hanging out with people and a group will make bad decisions often. Usually because the one who wants to make the right decision gets quelled by the people who are out there you know, saying we're gonna go do wrong and people will usually follow the group and the group will usually make ungodly decisions. And David sees this, says, oh congregation, are you doing right? Do you speak righteousness? Are you judging correctly, uprightly? And his answer, no, in their heart, the innermost being of them, he says, you work wickedness. You weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. And this is an interesting thing when we look at it. The world is going to continue getting more and more evil as long as they keep turning away from God. Our country founded in the 1600s on Christian morals and ethics and things looked pretty good we had a very we had an educated populace we were making good decisions and the more we get away from God's morals and his 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 righteousness the more we see bad decisions being made we see abortions being made legal we see homosexual marriage being made legal we see them trying to take property rights away from people to say this belongs to us. And the government pretty much believes just like the, our democratic republic basically believes just like the kings of old that everything belongs to them and it's their right to tell you how to use it. And our government's becoming more and more like that. Everything belongs to them and if you don't believe that it belongs to them, don't pay your taxes for a while and see what you, what you get to keep. Don't send your kids to school and see how long it takes them to take them away. They want to control everything. This is the way that the world goes. Solomon, uh, Samuel, when he told the people of Israel the way a king would be, okay, the people of Israel asked for a king, and he says, this is what the king will do. He's going to take the best of your land. He's going to take the best of your, your children. He's going to take a, ten, a tithe. He's going to take 10% of everything that you have, just as God is supposed to have. And he's saying, they will eventually become God in your life. And this is what happens. This is life. I think we're not reading all the kings and how there are so many bad kings. This world, 
it's in the bad, it's a bad thing, his life. And I was reading it and how bad they were because they didn't follow God. And out of a handful, maybe two good and the rest were all bad. A couple more than two, but most of well, them were I bad, mean, yeah. I mean, you'll have one good one and then two or three bad. And well, then one good one and two yeah, or three yeah, bad yeah, ones. That's and, like that. and Israel didn't have any good Yeah, and if you were in Israel, they never had a single good king. Uh, Judah had good a sprinkling of them. When the kingdom split, when Solomon died, the kingdom split, and Judah and Benjamin formed the southern kingdom known as Judah, and the other ten tribes became Israel. And Judah became Israel. Uh, Judah, excuse me. Now, oftentimes, and this is where you get confused, because sometimes when they say Israel, they're referring to either or both. Uh, so you have to kind of pay attention. Are they talking about the northern kingdom? And that's the other way they refer to them, the northern, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom, from the very forming of that kingdom under Jeroboam, or Jeroboam, <laughs> Boam, to golden calf worship and they worshiped golden calves plus other gods for their entirety of their existence and the reason he started golden calf worship is he was afraid that the people going to jerusalem would start realizing that they should be one nation <laughs> and reject him so he decided to make golden calves and say these are your gods uh, but man given to himself will always choose wrong decisions government thinking that they're important and that they're the most important thing will make bad decisions because they're made up of humans. And this is what our founding fathers understood even when they formed our government, is that government tends to be greedy and pull power and, and become the all in, all in all. And they understood that democracies and republics have always failed in every place they've ever been, they fail. Usually after 200 years or so, they fail because the system is designed. If it's not built on God's morality, it will fail. And the further our country gets from God, we see our country failing and moving further and further away from... Yeah, because the 1800s and stuff, they were more for God. Even, I mean, the 1800s and now, since the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, well, in the 1600s, our, our government pretty much had Christians in it, and it was formed under Christian morality. In the 1700s, we were starting to replace God and putting just his morals and his, and his ethic in. But like George Washington, and oh. they were for God, you know, yes. like, um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're not, you know, like back in the 1600s, and at least they're a lot better than is now. And by the 1800s, they were pretty much throwing God completely out, but keeping his morals and ethics in, in theory. He was kicked out, but, the, but his morality was left. By the 1900s, we'd kicked God and his morality out. And in the 20th century, in the 21st century, we are starting to reap the results of throwing all morality out the window. Because in the 1800s, they, under, they took the underpinning of God out of it kept the good things going, but took the pinnings out. And that was what we saw that movie Time Changer, which showed the idea, that whole idea. And the moment we take God out of the picture, we will speak unrighteously. We'll, we'll make bad decisions because even our rulers start doing what's good for them as rulers 
rather than what's good for the nation. And going back to Washington, Jefferson, Madison, all those guys were good, strong believers who said, we're going to do what's right for the country. Uh, we're going to do right for the country, not just what's right for us. So you didn't know we met back here, back in this part. No. Do we need an extra chair? Okay. We're in, we're in Psalm 58. So, but as our country gets further and further away from God, we make the decisions just that David was seeing here. The congregation will make bad decisions. The majority will make bad decisions. And we saw that in Judges. We saw it in anytime people, anytime people make their own decision, they will do what is right for them. Okay? And David is saying this. You've weighed in your, you've worked wickedness. You've weighed the violence in your hands. And then he goes on in verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Our world needs to understand that we are sinners from birth. The world is so strong in trying to teach us that we're basically good, and somehow somebody along the line taught them to be bad. Now, we all know, because I think everybody in this room has had children in their life, you know, and I, I know that every one of us took our one-year-old and taught them how to be disobedient. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we sat down and we said, we're going to teach you to be a disobedient child. <laughs> now, the world will tell us that we did teach them to be disobedient children because we gave them rules. We gave them a rule, so then we were asking them to be disobedient because we gave them a rule. Okay, God says, we've got rules, and I want you to learn to follow them. And that will help you become obedient. But the world is trying to twist that around, saying, the very fact that we give people rules is why they're disobedient. Okay, this is something we've got to be careful of. The world is really changing things around. Anything that God says is good, they want to say is bad. And we want to be careful of this. This is what is going on in our world. The world has been teaching since I was in school that there are no absolute morals. And they didn't come out quite that strong way back in the 60s and 70s but, and the 80s, but they really were giving you these examples of, what do you think the best answer is? You, if you remember, for some of those in my age bracket, the old lifeboat example, you, you're in a lifeboat, there's only enough food for a certain number of people aside, how many of the people are going to be thrown overboard? Okay. The, the good of the, of, the, of the few is better than the, the, than the life of the many is what they were teaching you, okay? And this was the whole idea that morality is what's best for the individual. And it was hard to make those decisions and people are being taught over and over that there's no absolute, so therefore, whatever's good for you is what's best in your life. And this is taught in colleges right now. It's the idea that is called self-actualization. That the ultimate goal is for you to do whatever makes you feel good. And that means that you are doing what's best for you. And you look at the chart and it's taught, it's Maslow who taught it. And the chart is exactly upside down from what God says. <laughs> If you're doing what's good for everybody, then you're not self-actualization, you're not helping yourself out, and you go higher and higher until you're doing what's best for you, and that is supposed to be the epitome of doing what's right in the world system. 
God says is exactly the opposite. When we're doing what's selfish and what's right for me, which is what we all do, it's bad to the point where we deal with others and, and build them up and lift them up and, and help them. And that's the epitome, being Christ-like, serving others. So Satan has flipped God's way totally upside down, and we're, having, we're, we're teaching all of our kids in colleges to just do what's best for you. Don't worry about what your parents taught you. Don't worry about what God says. Just do whatever makes you feel good. That's Satan's way of getting in here. And this is what he's saying. The wicked are estranged from the womb. God teaches us that we're sinners right from the moment we are born. And we will make bad decisions. And we've got to make sure as Christians we hold on to this truth. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Period. And David, all through the Psalms, says that we are born in sin. We are sinners right from the very beginning. And again, this helps us when we're witnessing to people. I am not going to be surprised when a sinner sins. <laughs> because that's who they are. That is who they are. It's more surprising when somebody does something good or kind to me than when they sin. Or when they speak harshly. Or when they make fun of somebody where they tear somebody down to make themselves look good. I'm not surprised when that happens because the scripture tells me that's who they are. That's who I am. <laughs> All right? But they've got the Holy Spirit working in me, changing me, so that he comes out more often than my flesh. You know, my flesh comes out a lot. But I've been studying for 43 years, and God has made a lot of changes in my life. And when you've been with God and you're walking with God, you will, you will step up and you will be godly more often than not as long as he's leading you. But David here is saying, you're born that way. You're born that way. And he's going, the, the, the congregation is going to go that way. The majority is going to be wrong more often than it's right. Now, it's amazing when the majority is right. But so often, the majority will make bad decisions because that is who we are. And they will act in the flesh. And when they get into a group, they'll often act in the flesh. And if you've got some strong-willed people in the flesh, they will, over, they will push everybody else into that direction. And unfortunately, oftentimes the righteous person isn't bold enough to stand up against a, a group of people. It, doesn't, it happens, of course, that they will stand up. But it's so easy to bow to the, to, the, to the group. You look at Daniel. Daniel's a great example of a man. He and his three friends go to Babylon. They're away from home. They, there'd be no reason for them just to abandon God. You know, God, did, God let our nation be captured. Why should we serve God? And yet the three of them go to say, no, we're not going to eat this food. <laughs> it's not right for us to eat this food. God, you know, will we'll put us to the challenge. Let us eat, eat, let us eat the food God wants and see if we're healthier. You look at Josh, uh, Joseph, sold into slavery, gone hundreds of miles from home. He could have easily said, especially when Potiphar's wife was going after him, ah, what the heck, I'm no, I, don't live in Jeru I don't live in Judea anymore. I'm far away from my dad, and God has let me down. He let me get sold into slavery. My dreams are never going to happen. You know, my brother is supposed to be bowing down to me. I'm supposed to be special. Ah, oh, what the heck? I'll just follow this sin. And yet, he continued in a godly manner. There are examples of this happening. 
But then you read so many examples of people making bad decisions and going with the group. And unfortunately, that is the usual answer. Unless we are totally devoted to doing things God's way and walking in the spirit, we will oftentimes walk with the world. And it usually starts, and when remember when we read Psalm 1, it starts with just standing with sinners. <laughs> okay, I just find myself hanging out with sinners once in a while. Then the next thing, I'm, stay, I'm, I'm sitting there with them. <laughs> you know, I'm just hanging out with them. And then the next thing you know, you're committing the same things that they're doing. This is really important for us, and this is why I really emphasize we need to be in the Word of God. We need to walk with the Spirit. We need to be with other Christians so that we can be encouraged to do what is right. Otherwise, we're going to go off and do the wrong thing. So easy to do the wrong thing. So easy. The moment I start not walking in the Spirit, my flesh starts walk, walk, waking up and saying, Hey, uh, you, I've been deprived lately. <laughs> You made me kind of wait where the Spirit did its thing. Now it's my turn. You kind of left the Spirit this morning. I'm going to have my turn today. And that's what it said in, in Galatians that we read today. We, don't, we cannot do what we would do, what we want to do, as long as the flesh is ruling. And here's David saying the same thing. You're born this way. You came out of your mother's womb estranged from, the, from righteousness. Trying to get your way. And babies are very selfish. Babies are the epitome of selfishness. They want what they want, and they want it now. Now, granted, they don't know of any discipline in their life, but you know, when they're hungry, they let you know that I want to be fed, and I want to be fed now. I don't care if dinner's in half an hour or, or an hour. I want it now. I wet my diaper. I messed my diaper. I want to be cleaned now. Not when it's convenient to you. <laughs> But you got some kids that'll sit there in a wet or messy diaper and not move. Well, there are exceptions, of course. But <laughs> yeah, I had one. He didn't care. Yeah. But, and it says, as soon as they bo are born, they speak lies. It is so easy. Lying comes so natural to us. And we think just right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve... You know, Adam, what have you done? The woman you gave me, she gave me this, this fruit. I, I really didn't know what it was until I ate it. But, uh, you know, it's your fault, God. You gave her to me. Yes, you know. Too bad it wasn't the man first. <laughs> and, of course, he's going, uh, well, it really wasn't me. It was the, the, the yeah. serpent. He, uh, he tricked me. And the serpent said the devil made me do it. Yeah, well, the serpent didn't even have a chance to answer. But lying has, and passing the buck has been from the very beginning of human fall. And so, again, when we look at this, when we look at the scriptures, we see that none of this is new, none of this is a surprise. It's happened forever. And it's going to continue happening up until the end of the millennial kingdom. Now, during the millennial kingdom, there will be perfection because God will rule with an iron rod and there will not be sin during the, during the millennial kingdom because he forces obedience. At the end of the millennial, millennial kingdom, Evil is put away, the, the, this, the heaven and earth are destroyed, and the new kingdom is started. The new heaven and earth is started. When, when does the 144,000 men start teaching? They preach during the tribulation. Okay. During the tribulation well, period. Now, whether they start at the beginning or mid, it's kind of a little ambiguous, but they I will be preaching during the, 
during the tribulation. And they will be given the message of God and they will lead people to Christ. They will still have people getting saved during the tribulation. They'll just have to pay with their lives and, and have a hard time. Because everything about the tribulation period, which we'll be getting into here shortly, but everything about the tribulation is to bring people to God. Through harsh judgments, harsh trials, but the, the purpose of that is not to just you know, kill people and make life miserable for them. The purpose is to say, I am God, come back to me. And they had the opportunity before to accept Jesus Christ. Now they're going to have to deal through the harshness of God. And then they'll go through the millennial kingdom and have the real, real harshness where God will say, no, you're not going to sin. And Satan will be released at the end of the millennial kingdom and those who want to sin will commit sin and rebel. And you go, well, why would they do that? Well, because God has forced them to be obedient during those years. And if they didn't want to be obedient, they're going to say, okay, here's my chance to rebel. And they will. And then all of that will be judged and it'll be all over. And then God will take away our, our desire and our will to sin and we, won't, we will be perfect as, as he is for eternity. And isn't that going to be a great time when there is no sin in our yes. life? Now, we as Christians, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a benefit as we, as we go into the, into the Millennial Kingdom is that we will be perfect already because we will have our glorified bodies. Okay. Um, all right. Verse 4. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the death adder that stops her ears, which will not hearken to the voice of the charmers, charming never so wisely. And he's talking about people. People are like poison of the serpent. They strike. And their purpose for most people when they strike is to harm or even kill I mean, we don't really want to think about it, but really what they're doing, even when it's their, their words, the assassination of our character, the assassination of our, of our spirit, words work hard against the soul. And we've talked about this. The, the, the old adage, sticks and stones might break my bones, is one of the dumbest things we teach our kids. Because yes, sticks and stones may, 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 may break our bones and hurt us physically, but that heals, but that words hurt. Words hurt when they're spoken in anger, when they're spoken in, in the poison of this. And this is why we as Christians have to be careful with the words we use. We need to be speaking softly. We need to be speaking with God's love. It is possible to tell somebody they've done something wrong in love and not hurt them. You know, they may still be angry at you, but at least they know that they've been loved and that you care for them. I had a friend I had to speak to you know, one time, and I'm going, I just have to share something. And I shared you know, an apology for something that I had did, but I also go, you've got to change the way you're thinking, because as long as you keep thinking this way, you're, you're thinking like the world, and you're not thinking godly. You're not going to see the godly answers. And he was a good friend of mine, and he knew, even though he didn't really like hearing what I was saying in the situation, he understood that it was something he needed to hear. But it is so easy to get into being a critical person to 
to strike out hard at people. And this is why the love of God has to come through. Sometimes, sometimes we have to say hard things to one another because there's things that we need correcting. And we need to be able to speak it, but that the love of God must come through in that, that when we're speaking that way. Uh, one thing my dad did when we were growing up, and he never spanked us when he was angry. He always said, go up to your room and think about it. Now, now that I'm older, I know what, it wasn't just for me to go think about it because I hated that time of, of thinking about it. But it was so he would cool down and the spanking was discipline and not a beating. And this is what we need always. A dis, a discipline should always be discipline and not abuse. And that sometimes means we say, I'll talk to you later. I will, I will talk and correct you later. I'm just not in a place where I can discipline you right now. Right now, if I was to talk to you, you know, and for some of us, we, can, we have the ability to make somebody feel about six inches tall <laughs> if, we're, if we're not careful. I know I have that ability if I speak, especially in anger. No, you weren't talking in anger. No. You were just telling the truth of the Lord, and the Lord, the Lord is the one that's making me feel about it. Oh, yeah. I that. Are you better? I'm sorry. But in anger, you can make somebody feel miserable, and you don't accomplish discipline. And we want to be careful about that. And our voices, our tongues, our, our way we interact with people is so often full of poison. And you see it when you see or, or around the world around the worldly people and you hear them talk, you hear them tear each other apart. And the saddest thing is, if you're allowing somebody to talk to you about somebody else, I can guarantee you that when you're not there, they're talking about you as well. This is the problem of listening to gossip, the problem of, of, of yeah. not paying attention. We need to make sure that we stop people from gossiping. And Christians are some of the worst about gossiping. Let me, I've got a prayer request for you. You need to pray for so-and-so. This, this, that, this, and that is what they're doing. And, you know, they're, and this and that. And we give them a whole bunch of stories that they did not need to know so that we could be gossiping and saying we're being righteous. Because we're asking for prayer. Because we're asking for prayer. I'm going to tell you everything about, about them. I do. I'll ask somebody, would you pray? And because I'm so close to these two... <laughs> And some of the people we're praying for, I will say, why? And I'm thankful that both of them, uh-uh, and that's okay. God already knows. One minute you say their name, he knows what you're going to say. And he knows what their problem is. We don't need to know no more than they need prayer. Yep. And it's important for us to use that loving kindness, building people up, edifying when one thing you can be sure of is when I'm talking about somebody behind their back, I'd be saying the same thing in front of their back because I'm building them up and talking about how good they're coming. When I talk about this church, I talk about how God's people are growing in this church, how we're seeing change in this church, how we're seeing change in this community. You know, there's no way I'm going to say, well, well, so-and-so is really, <laughs> I know you don't know him, but this person's having all these problems. It doesn't do them any good to do that. You know, we want to build each other up edify one another is there time to criticize you know bring a criticism if god tells you and he and you can do it with that love then yes but make sure it's in love and make sure it's god's timing <laughs> For certain people i'm going to be freer with on criticism because they have invited me into their life to say i want you to be one that can tell me when you see something wrong other people i'm going to be 
okay, they need help or they don't need help, and sit back and and wait for God to wait for God to lead in that area. Or as a pastor, sometimes I'll do it just because they're hurting the church. Uh, but it's important for us love. <laughs> yes, I, I, I've said that many times. I quit praying for my wife to change because God always changed me. <laughs> so, not the details. And then in verse five it says, "There are like serpents who will not listen to this charmer." God is the charmer. He wants us to learn to walk in His way and His thinking. The world does not want to listen to God. And so we want, to be, we want to be able to listen to the voice of God and not be stubborn. And that means getting into his word, getting into Bible studies, getting amongst other Christians and just... Uh, I had a wonderful day today. I had uh, Ray and Sandy here uh-huh. all day almost, mm-hmm. just talking, just talking about the, the Bible. The yeah. yeah, just talking about the Bible. The, yeah, the ones that painted the okay. painted the shields. The, the, the fairly new couple. They were having such a good time in here that I sleep on the pew almost all the way back. <laughs> we brought that back window. They were just laughing, having a good time. That's good. But it was just talking, answering their questions about things, about the Bible, and just talking about the Bible. And as I've said, if you know me and you spend any time with me, we're going to talk about the Bible because, not because I'm a pastor, but because that's the way I have always been. I love the Word of God and God so much that He is going to be a topic that I talk about. When I was a manager in restaurants, if somebody wanted to engage me on a personal level, at some point we were, in, we were going to end up talking about God. You know, not, not, not aggressively or attacking, but we'd talk about God. We, the other Friday, we had a French family come through here to look, and they wanted to look at the church. So I brought them in. We gave them a not a hard gospel presentation, but I talked to them about God. And, and but that is that is basically who I am. And because God is so important to me and has always been, I speak about Him. Sharon, from all of her examples, she speaks to everybody that comes into her store about God. Oftentimes, brings them to church if they're still there when it's time to go to church. <laughs> Yeah. You want to come to my shop again? Some church first. Yeah. <laughs> but becomes obvious. Who do you talk about? Who do you? What do you? Who or what do you speak about? Really shows what's important in you. Because Jesus said, "Out of the abundance of our heart, we speak." If all we ever do is speak about our family, and it's not wrong to speak about your family, but if that's the only thing you ever speak about, you're telling the family is most important to me, and God is not important to me. If you're always speaking about whatever your hobby is, and I'm not saying anything bad about hobbies, it's, and, but you never speak about God, you're saying my hobby is more important to me than God. Now, am I saying you're going to speak to some, everybody always about God? No. <laughs> if you did that, nobody would want to speak to you after a while because they want to know that you have other interest in your life. Well, but can my, you... My one hobby I like is rock. But if you can speak to somebody, but if you can speak to somebody for an hour or more and you never bring God into the top into this message at all, how important is he to you? Well, and I just got into uh, inf- information about rocks real easy. <laughs> I like that. Or anything else for that matter. I, I mean, do that. No. I, I had a pastor friend one time tell me, he goes, 
He goes, I can't understand you. You can, you could, you can teach about anything. He goes, if I gave you a blank piece of paper, you could probably preach a message on that. <laughs> and I go, I'd probably find something to say. <laughs> I probably could. But he was making a point that I, I very freely get into God, the topic of God and, 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 and can teach and transition into lesson time. And it's not that I'm even thinking about teaching at that time. It's just I find God so valuable in everything I do that I want to. You know, I want to see people. It was really neat because I make so much stuff and I make one thing is I make hiking sticks. And I have a bunch of really cool sticks on a kayak. And this one stick, I always call it the Motus stick because it's tall. And I tell people I don't carve nothing in them. I leave them the way they are. And it has a thing where you put your chin or your hand on it. So I was this is called the Moses stick. The Moses stick? And I said, well, this one's more expensive. Moses. Oh, a Moses stick. Moses stick. My hearing is getting worse. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, verse 6. This is, this is David now getting very vindictive. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as the waters which run continually. He that bends his bow to, to shoot his arrows, let, him, uh, let them be as cut in pieces. As a snail melts, let every one of them pass away. Like an untimely birth of a woman, let the, that they may not see the sun. You want to talk about being vindictive here. That sounds good. <laughs> we probably all met people that this prayer would be one that we might be interested in praying. Uh, this is not a godly, godly prayer. I'm going to say that right off the bat. But David was a man of war. David was a man of action. And he loved God enough to say, God, these are the things I want to do, but I'm going to ask you to do them instead. Uh, David would be the type who says, oh, they're, they're speaking poorly. I'm just going to smash their teeth in. They won't be able to talk and eat anymore. Annie? Is the birth of the woman meaning that when she was a baby being born, she died before the sun came up? No, that's a miscarriage. Talking about miscarriages. Okay, because that was kind of... As the untimely birth of a woman, the, the miscarriage, yeah, miscarriage, the loss of their baby. Miscarriage of a woman. He is being mean. Yes. He's being very strong. He's, he's asking their teeth to be broken, uh, to take out the canine teeth of the lions, you know, because they're acting like lions. You know, he's saying, let them melt away. Uh, they run continually. He that bends the bow or is going to be aggressive, cut them into pieces. This is a warrior speaking. That's what he did in war. He cut people to pieces. Because he ain't talking about lions here. And he ain't talking oh, no, about he's talking about people. He, he's making he's making similes here. You know, God, they, they need to they they're they're speaking lies. They're spreading poison. Break their teeth out. And in one sense, this is what we want God to do. In in a sense, that we want them to be our defense. And we've talked about this all through Psalms. God is our defender. He is our strong tower. He is our shield. He says that the righteous will run into Him. And then he will be the one that goes out to battle. And in one sense, he does go out and break the teeth of our enemies and, and, and cut them in pieces. Sometimes literally. As I've shared with you, I know people that have had this happen to them where they've gone against pastors and, and watched their life be torn apart because they went after a righteous man of God. And that righteous man of God just said, I'm going to let God defend me. And God has gone after them with a vengeance. 
God at times will, he will give us a lot of mercy to do wrong and give us, as a fisherman would say, give them a lot of lines so that they can hook themselves real good and tire themselves out and then you drag them in. God will do that a lot. He'll give a lot of line, a lot of leeway, a lot of mercy. But when he says enough of the mercy, then all hell can break out in your life because you're not willing to repent. You're not willing to come to God. And he'll say, okay, now, now we basically go to battle. You are going to bend to my will or you're going to face the consequences. You know when people question me about things that I do, at my age, you always hear that. I say, well, my father takes care of me. Yeah. Yeah, and they got to know that you're a Christian and you're who you're talking about. Annie. No, I know what you meant, but I was thinking that a lot of times people will think because the word says so. Once you're mine, you're mine forever. You have mercy forever. You have unlimited grace forever. But what they're missing the part. Well, he was patient with you, both of us. But they're missing the ones that says, you're mine, I'm your father, and I have that right. I'm going to spank you. You're not going to just play this game and get away with it. Right. And that's what we were talking about this morning, that last verse that I read that those who are of the character of the flesh are showing that they're not his. Because if you're his, you're not going to have the character. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. You're not going to commit the acts of the flesh. But, as you said, God's disciplining you. You should have sorrow for what you do. There should be conviction for what you do. And if you, if you can act in sin and not have any conviction of sin and God is not disciplining you and he says very clearly if he's not disciplining him, disciplining you you're not one of his children and then you have to look and say do I truly believe what I'm saying I believe do I truly if you're saying you're a Christian and you can sin without conviction without discipline then you really have to go back into your life and say do I truly believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior and has it, is it just head knowledge or do I believe it within my heart and I can tell you there are probably millions especially in America and, and Europe that have a head knowledge of Jesus and no heart knowledge of Jesus and they will be the ones that when they stand before the throne of God they're going to go well didn't I didn't I go to church every week? Didn't I read my Bible every day? Didn't I, didn't I do these things? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because they did not have that. It was just belief. Because the Bible tells us that the devils believe. And tremble. You know, he, he absolutely knows that Jesus is, the, is, is, is God and is the Savior of the world. But he doesn't believe it the way that we need to believe. And this is critical for us. We need to be able to look at our life and say, yes, I am being disciplined for God. Yes, I, when I sin, I am convicted. Can you be stupid enough or hard-headed enough, headstrong enough to be in sin and not have sense enough to know that God actually is spanking you right now? Well, there are people that do that all the time if they're not sensitive to God. 
But I would say the answer probably is a no. If they, are, if they absolutely do not feel the conviction of God, I don't know that you could be that stupid. You know, you could be that hard-hearted, and to be that hard-hearted means that you're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And if you're not walking in the spirit, you're never going to know that God's disciplining you. You're never going to know that you're under conviction. Can you walk in the flesh after you become his? Oh, yes. Okay. Otherwise, he wouldn't have commanded us in Galatians to walk in the spirit. And that is a command. It's an imperative in Greek. It is a command. Walk in the spirit. So that is, by, by the flip side, it is possible not to walk in the spirit. Okay. So walking in the flesh, you could be being punished to draw back. You will be punished to be drawn back, and you will be convicted if you're his. If you're walking in the flesh, you will have conviction. You will know that what I'm doing is wrong, and you will eventually get punished. Usually he'll start with mercy, mercy and say, you're just being convicted, and then eventually you'll go to punishment. And if you really want to harden your heart to the point of you do not want to listen to God and you are his, he's going to take you home prematurely. You will die an earlier death than you should have. But that is a rare case because, you know, that, if you're that hard-hearted, you're probably not his. Probably. And again, I'm, I'm being very careful on this because once you're saved, you are saved because it is a gift of grace. Okay. Now, I can make all the bad decisions in the world and be, be doing the wrong things, but I should feel the conviction but if like I'm you his. But like if you've been saved, like say when you're young, and then you turn and rotten the rest of your life. And they think just because they've been saved, they're okay. But if they do everything wrong all the time, isn't that? If they can turn completely away, they could say, yes. you know, they, they say a sinner's prayer at, at 10 or 11 years old, and they turn completely away from God and have no conviction of their life and no, no sense of God in their life, that prayer probably wasn't a prayer of faith. And this is the scary thing about the sinner's prayer. And I've all shared with you the time I went soul went in and this poor teenager was backed up against a wall with this lady saying, you've got to say this prayer, you've got to say this prayer. Well, he said a prayer. I know for a fact he did not mean a single word that he said. He just wanted to get away from that crazy lady. Okay, she walks away thinking that, she, that he saved because he said a prayer because to her the, this prayer is a magic words and as soon as you say it, you are automatically saved no matter what, what you thought when you did it. My biggest concern is for that poor teenager, and this was many years ago, so now he's 30 or 40, does he believe that he, he saved in some time that he's gone to a church because all of a sudden he goes, they talk about the sinner's prayer and he goes, oh, I remember when I said that prayer. I was, you know, I was with that crazy woman and she had me say that prayer. I must be a Christian. But I thought you have to believe in it when you say it. Exactly. If you don't believe in it, exactly. you're not being saved. And that's why I really believe in evangelizing yeah. children. But they by the same it. token, I'm scared of evangelizing children. Amen. Because it is so easy for the child to say what they think you want them to say and not mean it. Or just because everybody else is saying it. Or everybody else is saying Everybody else in the room has said it. And it's very critical... And there's nothing wrong with a sinner's prayer because it is all the points. Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I deserve hell. You, you paid for my price. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. But if you don't believe all four points, it's a worthless prayer. It's just words. Because that's the spirit thing. Because if you believe it, you have the spirit. But if you don't have the spirit, you're just saying words. You're just saying words. And they're not, yeah. they're not abracadabra, you're saved. Yeah, yeah. It's, 
It's got to be believed. You've got to totally believe that I'm a sinner. And that's the first thing we've got to get people convinced of, that you are a sinner. And that's why when Christians go out and they try to make people good, that's not part of the gospel. My, <laughs> my gospel is to go out and say, you're a sinner. And you know what? It's easier to, to evangelize a person who knows they're a sinner rather than to evangelize somebody who thinks they're good. And Jesus told the Pharisees, I don't need to go to you. I need to go to somebody who knows that they're sick. Not that they weren't sick and in need of him, but they did not know that they were sick and in need of him and did not want to admit that they were sick and in need of him. So he said, I'm not coming to you because I'll be wasting my time trying to go to you. I've got a neat opportunity, and I don't know that I could have done it. And I've been a Christian a long time, but a few years ago, I don't think. I was told the other night by my dear, precious new family member that she was told churches were a bunch of baloney. They are just full of hypocrites, and they're full of people that don't even know about Jesus. And I said, absolutely true. She said, what? <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's the truth. Now, now, you go back to the person that told you that and tell them this ignorant old lady that hasn't got much of an education said, we're full of hypocrites, liars, cheaters, that are made up of people just like you and me. She said, uh-oh. I said, mm-hmm. Always before you say something like that, check that mirror out first. That's why I very seldom do. The mirror always starts chewing me out. <laughs> but, but that is a critical thing because the world is saying the church is full of hypocrites and unfortunately most churches are and every church probably has some hypocrites in it. And we all are hypocrites at some point in time, even in our own life. We're going to say something and do exactly opposite of what God is telling us to do. Peter lied. <laughs> the night he was being beaten and, and cross-examined, Peter lied. Yeah. No, I don't know him. And then swore. And then swore, but he was afraid. And so yeah. who am I that I can set myself up higher than Peter? And for anybody who's looking for a perfect church, they better not go to it because they'll make it unperfect anyway as soon as they step in the door. So it's, you know, there's problems in every church. And if you go, if you go to a church looking for the problems, you'll find them. If you're looking for the Spirit of God moving in the church, usually you'll find it. Now, there are some really dead churches that have the Ichabod written across it. And if you don't know what Ichabod means, it is the glory of God is departed. There are churches out there that have Ichabod written spiritually across their door, and Jesus himself wouldn't go to that church. Okay, they're the rarity, but they're out there. But if you go looking for God and the Spirit moving in most good churches, you will find it. But, but if you, you think those people have something wrong with them too then? Of course they have something wrong with them. But again, that's the point. If you were looking for what's bad in a church, you'll find it. I've never had, I've met people who go, I'm going, what church do you go to? Well, I haven't found a good one. Well, how long have you been looking? Oh, 12 years. I'm going, 12 years and you haven't found a good church yet? <laughs> I have moved around all my life, and usually within a month, I can find a good church. Why? Because I'm looking for God moving in whatever church I'm looking at. And I'm praying to him to say, show me the church. When I moved to Kingman, I went to one church and one church only. I never went to another church until God moved me here. You know, I went to the first church and it was like, well, I'd already talked to the pastor and everything. I knew I fell in love with their pastor. But 
I fell in love with the church after that. But God, if we're looking for the good things and God moving, we'll find him. If we're looking for the bad, we'll find it. And these people who can't find a good church, they're going to the church looking for everything wrong. And they're never going to find a church that's going to satisfy them because you're always going to, the church is made up of sinners. Saved and redeemed sinners, but it's made up of sinners who are going to make mistakes, going to say something you didn't like. Not going to shake your hand because they're so self-absorbed in themselves and forget to shake your hand. You know, not, not smile at you and, and, and give you that look that you think is an angry look that you know, has nothing to do with you. You know, all the things that you could see that are going wrong, you'll find what you're looking for. He didn't even shake my hand. So. He never shakes mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, he hugs you. <laughs> Verse 9, before the pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as the whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. And this is, this is the idea of, you know how fast thorns and bristle, you know, dry tinder burns. He's saying, before your pots can even feel the heat of dry tinder, God will take everything away. And you know, this is true that God will come in and he judges. When he judges, he moves quickly and he takes away quickly. And this is what I've seen in people's lives. When God finally comes around to judging them, their whole life is turned upside down very quickly. And we want to be able to respond to him before we get to that judgment time. As Christians, we should be able to not have to, we don't, we don't need him to bring out the, the heavy beating stick, you know, the, the talking to or even this, the light belt should work. You know, he doesn't need to bring out the, the, the staff and beat us. But if he has to, he will. Yes, he will. And when it does, it comes quickly. And we'll not be, we'll be shocked when it comes because his mercy reached the end. The world before Noah, everything violent, everybody doing what was right in their own eyes, doing what, was, what they wanted to do, marrying and, and dying and birth, giving birth, and then all of a sudden, God closed the ark doors and said, enough. I've had it. It's over, and I'm going to destroy them all. We're coming quickly at the end days. And, you know, there's lots of reasons why we're coming quickly to the end days. I mean, the Israel coming back as a nation. We, we see all of the book of Revelation being fulfilled or able to be fulfilled. We see the people, not just one or two nations, but the whole world seems to be turning away from God, doing what's right in their own eyes. We see the population of the world, and we're talking with, with Ray and Sandy, Sandy. The population of the world took millennia to get to a million population. And since we hit the million mark, which I believe was in our generation, it has gone to trillions. Pyramid. You know, it's gone from a million to trillions in just a short, short time. And the speed at which we're adding to the population means that this world is coming to a, to a close anyway. So we are at the end days. End is near. The rapture for us as Christians is close. He will remove his church just as he did with Noah when he closed the ark and say, now the judgment of God falls. Now the judgment will fall. Amen. He removes his church. We, we, get to go to, we get to go into heaven and have a seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb, a celebration while the world sits in judgment. And we get to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb where he's taken his bride, snatched his bride from the Father's home, 
and taken her to the one week celebration that the, that was the marriage marriage ceremony that was in the in the scriptures. And this is his picture for us, snatching us out of our world that we think of us as our home, taking us to his father's home, and having a celebration. And this world will go through basically not quite hell on earth, but it'll seem to them hell on earth. And it'll be nothing compared to what hell is going to be like. And all that purpose for God is to bring them to him. And we want to remember all the book of Revelation is, is God trying to bring people to him. They didn't respond to his mercy. So he says, fine, you didn't respond to my mercy. Let's try, the, let's try the stick. Let's pound it into you that I'm merciful and that I want you to come to me. And many will not come. And David is saying that when that comes, it comes quickly. The pot doesn't even feel the heat. It's going to come so quickly. And then the last two verses. The righteous shall rejoice when they see the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. And this is David the warrior talking. I hope that none of us have this attitude in, our, in us. We should not rejoice in the discipline of the wicked. This is David speaking, and this is his heart. This is who he is. This is a psalm. This is a psalm. This is what David is saying. But we want to look at... Let me... Real quick, and... Uh, I just wanted to read this in Proverbs, and I can't find what I wanted to read. It's in Proverbs. I just taught about it the, either this last week or this other week. God says in Proverbs, if you rejoice at the calamity of the unrighteous, beware because he may lift the calamity from off of them. And God will do that. If we as the righteous get excited that somebody's being punished when we're supposed to love them and bring them to him, bring them to him, he will lift off their judgment. And I've seen that happen as well. Somebody starts to get judged, and I've heard somebody say, about time they got what they deserve as a Christian, and then I've watched everything just disappear from that person's life. God does not want us to rejoice in the pain of other people. We don't want that to be what is happening. Because God says we're still to love them. He loves them. He brought the calamity not to... Not to destroy them, but to draw them to himself, to let them know there was a punishment for wrong living. God is not taking, he, he's not up there saying, oh, it's about time I get to judge this person and crush them. That's not God's attitude. His attitude is just like us when we have to discipline our child or what it should be. You know, as I said to my kids and my dad said to me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I remember when I was a kid thinking, yeah, right, Dad, uh, it's going to hurt me plenty. How is it hurting you? But when I got to be an adult and I had to spank my kids, I really understood. I did not want to cause pain to my kids, but I also understood that without the pain, they wouldn't know that there was consequence for disobedience. And so my attitude wasn't, oh, I'm just looking forward to every chance I can spank you. I'm just, I'm just ready to spank you, you know. No, it was like, Man, I was so sad that I had to come to this point. And God's the same way. When he has to discipline in a harsh manner, his heart is broken. 
It's why did it have to come to this? Why would you not respond to my grace? Why would you not respond to my mercy? I've gently tried to draw you in and be obedient, and yet you're needing to be disciplined harshly. And we need that kind of love for people. We need that love that says, you're hurting, I want to help you. I want to help you come to God. I want to help you make better decisions. And then the last one, David, David ends up in verse 11. So that a man shall say, verily there is a reward for righteousness, verily there is a God that judges the earth. And this is a true statement. We know for a fact that in the end, God will judge the unrighteous. And he will reward those who have come to him. And this is our ultimate hope. This is our ultimate hope. But we don't want to be rejoicing in their adversity. I never want to, I never want to in, in, in rejoice in somebody's adversity. I don't want to rejoice in them losing their life. Hopefully if that happens, they were saved and headed to heaven. But I don't want to see anybody lose rewards in heaven even. But isn't that what he said to Esau's? descendants when they were taken by Babylon. I don't know whether it was Israel or Judah. But they laughed and laughed and laughed because Israel was finally getting there to come up and, and God said that was a mistake. And God judged them. Laughed. And God judged them. And they don't exist as a people anymore. And this is the critical thing for us. When we rejoice in somebody else's discipline and, and everything, the Bible seems to indicate that we will take their discipline upon ourselves. Mm -hmm. If we want to rejoice in their discipline, God will say, fine, you, you want to rejoice in that? I'll take it off of them and give it to you. And there's teachings on this. We can go through those some other time. But there are teachings on this. And this is also why it's so serious to, to go after a pastor or a teacher in the church because God says they're worthy of double honor. And if you're going to go after them, <laughs> beware. And, we've already, and I've talked talked before in Jeremiah we see these verses where he says God says clearly to them I will deal with the false shepherds it's God's job to take care of shepherds who aren't doing their job mm -hmm. touch, not my anointed. <laughs> touch not my anointed yes. you know, is that it no 22 uh, I, that's, I'm sure that's where it's at I just can't find it off the top Before I came to church I won revenge for people who have done me wrong and I've learned that vengeance is God's and just let God defend me and let God protect me and not uh, take vengeance or get put in jail for doing <laughs> stupid trying to get revenge you know revenge I gotta get them back 
So yeah. vengeance is God, and let him be our shield and our defense. Yeah, and God, God does a wonderful job. He will defend us. He will, he will lift us up. And even if he doesn't, they will get their reward. Uh, we will get our reward, and they'll get their reward. It's not necessarily a good reward, but they'll get what they deserve when they stand before God. But we should pray for them. But we need to pray for them. We need for them to pray. We need to pray. We need the gospel. We need to love them. Does that mean we become a floor mat and just let them do whatever? No. You know, we, we're not going to let people abuse us if, it, you know, if, you know, if we can take it. But, you know, and this is what I've said. You know, people have come to me say, you know, a while back, there's people speaking bad against you here in Chloride. I'm going, okay, we'll let God deal with it. Why? Because it's, it's God's, God is my defender. If I start opening my mouth, I'm going to make it worse and make it bad. So I'll let God defend me. You know, and I don't know if it was only the one person who finally came out and apologized or if there's more out there, and I really don't care because God is still my defense. He will defend. And we need to have that attitude. God is my defender. Somebody, especially if they're just speaking bad about you, it's really not going to hurt us that they're speaking bad about us because God is our defense. Maybe someone will hear what they're saying and Okay, I'm going to go to that church and find out that, how bad that booger is and find out what <laughs> I really like him. I would like yeah. to change the subject. We pray. I would just like you to pray for my family and that things don't work out. Okay. Did you hear her? Things don't work out. Things will work out? Yeah. Things will work out. They learn more from his teaching than they ever did. She said that person you were talking about now says, you better not say anything about him. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's only the one person I know, and then and she came, and she came, she actually called me and asked to talk to me to ask for forgiveness, and you know, and I don't know if there's other people, and I really don't care because it's not my concern. My concern is this church. I want to teach the people in this church how to live for God, and be and live victoriously, and anybody else that I have contact with. Uh, if somebody wants to tear me down, that's between them and God. And heaven knows there's plenty to tear me down for because I'm not a perfect person and I'm going to make mistakes. And so if people want to tear me down, they have plenty of reason for it. It's not showing God's love, but they've got plenty of reason to. They should get to know me first. <laughs> uh, I don't know, between me and Amy, we could probably get enough talking going to maybe do that. <laughs> well, we don't want that necessarily either. But <laughs> All right, let's, go, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, that number one, you're our defender. You care about us. You are always going to lift us up and to, to be our defense, Lord. We thank you. Lord, help us to guard our mouths, that we do not spread poison, that we do not attack people, and we do not live in the flesh. Help us to all live and walk in the, in the spirit and let you flow out of our lives in a way that will build up, edify people, and, and that they will be excited to be in our presence. Because you're there. You're the one that they're being excited about. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.